willkommen bei Looking for the Ocean. Wo wir uns uns ansehen, was Pixar je gemacht hat. Das sind Spielfilme, Hörsfilme, Tech-Demos und mehr. Ich bin Mark Young und wie immer gesellt sich Danny Vincent zu mir. I, I'm glad you had that prepared, because I was kind of hoping for it, and I, I never asked, I didn't ask for it, but I was hoping for it, so I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> Great, yeah, I'm really, uh, yeah, I, I did not work too hard on the on the pronunciation of that, but yeah, we're here for a very special episode. We're here yeah. to talk about a film called Ali Shao, um, Ali's Chance. And Lucky Oli. There are a few other ways also. of yeah. There are a few other ways of translating it, but first, so Danny, what have you been up to? Well, as you know, on this podcast, I like to engage with discourse and drop mm. controversial takes. And this morning, I saw the news that the M and M's are being discontinued for Maya Rudolph. Now, everyone has probably correctly deduced that this is for a Super Bowl ad. Because it's really stupid as an announcement in general. And also, if you were to put out an announcement saying, we are discontinuing these spokespeople, these spokes characters, why would you put like all the spokes characters at the bottom of the announcement looking in shock at their being fired? <laughs> like, what, like, what would the uh, motivation be for that? If you're actually going to retire these characters. I'll be really uh, mad if this is some kind of long game. With well, Tucker Carlson involvement for a Super Bowl ad. Oh, I don't think oh, it's. I don't. I, I can't imagine Tucker Carlson will be involved. They probably just saw that happen and be like, "Ooh, this would be funny. This would be funny to get him involved. Not yeah. not get him involved, but like to react to this." Whoa! Super Bowl is two days before Valentine's Day. I believe that's romantic, is, isn't it? Um, two days after this episode goes up, I believe, according to our schedule. Or is it oh, a week man. after? Is it? Or maybe a week no, after? I don't, know. I don't know. I don't. I think it's a week after. But okay, well, see. anyway, so this take is still hot-ish, but my take has nothing to do with the m ms It has nothing to do with my Rudolph. It has to do with the fact that someone brought this up to me, and I had completely forgotten about it. I put it in my memory hole, and I realized, you know the last time something like this happened? It was in February 2020, when Mr. Peanut died, and Baby Nut was born. I feel like Baby Nut was the last time I was truly happy with everything in my life. <laughs> That's where this is leading. Is like I think Baby Nut was like an innocent time where we all came together to dunk on Baby Nut. But then I was like, nah, I like him. I kept like I remember at the time I was like, it's kind of one of those things where you know like it's very stupid and everyone's ragging on it. So naturally you gotta be like, you know, now I think it's kind of funny. I think Baby Nut is great. I loved Baby Nut. Uh. I thought it was it's, one of the. I also just think they had the fact that COVID happened, and they just kept on with their baby nut campaign. <laughs> like nothing had happened. It was pretty fantastic too, because everyone else, you know, shifted to like, we are all working together to find your home. And it's like here's Burger King, and then meanwhile, cut to baby nut going like, he's like, he's just turned five years old in this year. And it's like you know, this is a commit that you're continuing with this. I appreciate it. I'm glad that was a little ray of sunshine for you. I don't hear many people say that they've been happy, like, nearer than four years ago. So, I'm glad Baby Nut could be there for you. I think we should though, bring back I don't Baby know, Nut. I'm pretty indifferent to Baby Nut. I kind of dislike him. Why? Look at him. He's so stupid. cute. <laughs> it is stupid. That's, That's why it's great. It's also, it's one of those, like, transparently dumb ad campaigns. Because 2020 
like early 2020 is right after the Mandalorian premieres, like the first season of Mandalorian. So everyone's in love with Baby Yoda. Obviously, Baby Groot was already a big deal, and all these baby like characters of your favorite thing. So they would be like, "What could we get people to get interested in Planters Peanuts again?" I got it, baby nut. <laughs> it's like really great. Also, just the fact that the ad campaign kicked off with the idea of because they didn't even say that like baby nut was a thing until the Super Bowl ad dropped. Before the Super Bowl ad dropped, they're like, "We regret to inform you all that Mr. Peanut has died." <laughs> Did they ever right, say anything like, like it? It was like two to... or th- it was like a week or so after Kobe Bryant died, and That's it was just like how? About could- yeah. How could you make, make this like be a joke so soon? <laughs> really, nothing could stop Baby Peanut, no matter no matter who died like, or yeah, what COVID global pandemic. They're like, no, we got to continue with Baby Peanut. Wow, it's, I think... it's probably my favorite ad campaign, like in recent. Because also, I don't really follow ad campaigns other than when they go viral. But that one was like really great because it was because also you know i was at home during the pandemic so i did watch a little bit of tv so i did see ads but it was also just like the audacity of this campaign to just keep going despite everything falling apart and just being like who wants to be who wants to buy our branded peanuts (laughs) they got a baby (laughs) on them now oh i i forgot that he was born in the hat i'm trying to find out who like what the um, we need an oral history of Baby Nut, honestly. Someone needs to like get down to the bottom of that campaign. And like the decisions behind it to continue going through it despite everything that was going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is really funny. On the Wikipedia page, it says, I wanted to find out who... Um, oh, man. Came up with Baby Nut? For its super- yeah, well, it, the original teaser featured Wesley Snipes and Matt Walsh. Who yeah, is Matt Walsh. I remember, right? Oh, I, oh, of course I know who Matt Walsh is. Oh my gosh, I'm an ass clown. He's the guy from Veep and Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, it says here the Baby Nut campaign ended in February with Mr. Peanut returning to adulthood. Planters announced that it would not spend five million dollars dropping the character off a cliff. The company introduced a new campaign. And announced it would highlight people who made the world a little less nutty in 2020. So you know, they folded eventually to pressure. They should bring back Baby Nut. I gotta say, this is pretty funny. I'm looking at Know Your Meme right now, and it's like very low. It searches over time. Zero, less than 10, less than 10. And then when you get to the month of Baby Nut, it says 100% capacity with 20. I don't know how this, this Google Trend thing works. It's just like there's a huge spike just when Baby Nut premieres. And it's like, they have a chart going back to 2004 for some reason. I don't know why people were searching Baby Nut in November 2004, but it happened, apparently. Uh-huh. And Bill Baby Hader Nut. was the voice of Mr. Peanut for a little while. And then That's he died. Cool. Well, he's still alive. It's really, a, it's really a fight between him and Mr. Peanut to see who will live longest. Well, anyway. I just think it's funny that everyone like immediately like everyone came together to hate Baby Nut, which made me like him just because it's like, it's just it's everyone hated this ad campaign and yet they kept with it. It does say that they briefly suspended it because of Kobe Bryant's death, <laughs> so I just I you know let it be known they they stopped for a little while. They should bring it even back. even though I don't know it's still dumb. Wait. There's a series of memes on Mr. Peanut's death. 
Why is there a series? I'm sure there are. <laughs> why not? I just don't know why. Like, why wouldn't you just lump it all as one big campaign? Memes? I'm just, I just want to click related sub-entries. Because I'm curious, is there enough? No, okay, it's just maybe not. I was like, how can there be multiple related sub-entries to this? Yeah, I mean, just today, I could you could open up, like, one Instagram post, and it's, like, ten different M&M's memes and all that sort of thing. I'm not surprised by the creativity of memers. I just want Baby Nut back. I miss Why it. did you start talking about this? Because of the Eminem announcement. Okay. <laughs> it's really I was I this morning I texted Mark. I'm like, I have to talk about the Eminem announcement on the show, but not because of the Eminems. Because I just had the thought of, I miss Baby Nut. He was great. Bring him back. Those were the two great things in February 2020. Parasite One, Best Picture, and Baby Nut. You know, considering the apparent popularity of M&M's and, you know, their star is rising, what mascot would you kill and bring back as a baby to compete with M&M's? Oni the Tiger. Yeah, well, he's where my brain went too, but like... The Tricks Rabbit. The Tricks Rabbit? But they're not yeah. candies. There are very few are candy mascots. Are there any mascots. other candy ones? Are there other candy mascots? E.T.? We could kill E.T., and have him come back to <laughs> baby to be like, Reese's! <laughs> there's the Kool-Aid Man, there's the Jelly Belly, Jelly Bean. I don't know what that is. I know what a Jelly Belly I don't know what the ad for it is. It doesn't seem like, that. whoa, you know, oh, you know what it actually is, but these might be the same company, is they're rebooting Willy Wonka. He's the other candy mascot that they're babyfying. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Do you like Timothy? I actually, I don't love him in some things, and I love him in others. You know, do you ever feel like you don't know what people are talking about when they talk about, like, bad acting? Yes. Yeah, I don't, I hate to get into it because it's kind of like a deep topic, but just scrolling on the internet, you see people like, oh, this person's bad and this person's good. And then you even see, like, real-life kinds of things like that. Like, I was watching something, I, I rewatched that Michael Caine acting in film short workshop thing recently and it's fine to listen to he's it's it's a little bit funny that in the video everyone laughs really hard at his jokes um it's not like the other fun acting workshop i like to watch where ian mckellen seems like an asshole but it's like there's a lot of like mutual met, respect the brits in the who have met with brendan fraser over the last week with me go on sorry the brits yeah, Ian McKellen and Michael Caine, two people who've acted with Brendan Fraser before. Wow. They must have been in awe. Actually, I do act. I do act. Brendan Fraser is one of those people that I do like watching acting. I don't know. I'm it's just gonna, weird. Like, I don't want to get too much in the Fraser yet because eventually mm -hmm. yeah, I we'll finish it. this marathon and I will be able to talk about him. I yeah, have one, the, well, two films of that, technically, but the way it doesn't count. <laughs> but between those two workshops, I was just saying there's one. It's David Suchet as Shylock, and that one performance among, like, 20 or so is the one of those workshops of great actors that really sticks out to me as, like, something that strikes me as good acting, and I don't know. I feel, I feel very excluded sometimes because I don't know what people are talking about. I mean, have but, you like, seen House whatever. of Gucci? House of Gucci? Yeah. No. You I mean, told me not movie. to watch it. Well, that's a movie but you told me like... not to watch it because I wanted to watch for Jared Leto, and oh, you were well. like, "It's not worth it." 
Well, he's he's um he's interesting. I I don't want to defend Jared Leto ever, never ever. But I don't want Jared to defend Leto, Jared Leto either. He's kind of like Michael Bay to me. The question if he is good or bad in the movie is hard to like deduce because he is certainly engaging in the movie, which is something you cannot say about a lot of the other performances in it. But he's engaging because he's like, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a shit out of chocolate. That's like how he delivers all his lines. Also, because he's sharing his, most of his scenes that are memorable with Al Pacino, who also is debatable on if he's good in the movie because he is—he's not really doing Italian. He's just like he's the only person who's like you know he's just being Al Pacino and he's like going, "Hey," like adding "is" to the end of his lines. <laughs> I know what you mean. But it's like both of them are entertaining in a way nothing else in the movie is. So yeah. it's like, huh. Yeah, and well, that's the thing that worries me. Not worries, but like, am I too easily entertained by people? Like, is that what I look for in acting? Like, I don't know what... I actually... Brandon Fraser... I don't want to get too much in him, because we'll talk about him next episode, but I love I love watching him move, and there are a few other people that I, I really like watching move. And I know what I like most about Brandon Fraser. But mm-hmm. I have to embargo it until I watch Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah. It's the last one. <laughs> have you seen Streetcar Named Desire? Not with Brendan Fraser. Oh, uh, well, I guess no reason <laughs> to watch if Brendan Fraser isn't in it. I haven't seen the, any version of it, though, no. Oh, well, I like Marlon Brando in it, but I also like I like Vivian Lee, mm-hmm. who everyone, th- I mean, th- kind of commonly says is outacted in that film but i think vivian lee is great in streetcar named desire i, so, I, I haven't seen it. Just, i need to watch it i have so oh. many older movies i need to watch oh you you legit have not watched it because it does not have brendan fraser in it well i mean i haven't watched it because i just haven't got around to it i don't think i haven't watched it because oh there's no brendan fraser in it. i gotta skip it <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> i wanted every movie i was like mm, avatar the way of water does he play the whale no ah i can't watch this i'm not interested Give me another like that one like comment that was like, I thought Brendan Fraser was a wholesome actor. I can't believe he's in this. You know, I don't. We can get into this now if we want to talk about Fraser, but not really about his movies. I do think there's an interesting point to be made that it's weird how a lot of the conversation about, and I haven't seen The Whale, but around him and Ki He Kwan have been about like, I feel like a lot of it's like, oh, isn't it great? We're finally giving these guys what they deserve, and it's like. Yes, but this doesn't absolve you for, like, blacklisting them and not giving them roles for years. You know? <laughs> it's like Hollywood's being anyone. very, like, yeah, we're so glad you're back. I'm like, well, he was. they were both gone because you guys didn't offer anything. <laughs> so. I've never had trouble letting those two things live in my mind. That's one of those things online where I'm like, I don't know, what are you mad about, man? Like. Well, I mean, it's not... It's kind of like I also see people point out like there's a lot of the reporting in the press around them seems to be kind of infot- like I, don't, I can't ever say that word right but like being like oh it's so nice you guys are back and it's like well no they probably wanted to come back earlier you're just you know <laughs> like it's kind of like I think they would both prefer to be spoken with the level of respect that like yeah they haven't been in the game for a bit but like it it wasn't really their choice you know <laughs> like yeah yeah I know what you mean I don't know. I haven't read. I haven't read a lot about it because it seems like everything is either it's like <laughs> everything about them is like watch Brendan Fraser cry or Kehi Kwan will make you cry, and it's all very like 
awards. You know, well, I would, I, mean, I, would love I, to, I would love to hear like a really deep interview about how they the, both work. The whale, I find yes. them both really interesting. But I do but, think it's interesting how like we are kind of now just taking for granted that everything everywhere all at once is like an awards contender when like it came out in March as like this is the weird genre sci-fi movie A24 is putting out this year and everyone's like nah it's probably it probably should win best picture like everyone everyone's kind of um either agrees with that or go like no yeah it'd be a good winner solid winner and it's just kind of interesting to me that like now we're like oh yeah when Kei Kwan talks about his past um he's definitely like going for that Oscar it's like no he isn't like this movie was just made it's like a cool matrix riff like with some other cool ideas being melted into it the fact that it became this bigger thing is something we are just taking as or like Michelle like when you say like yeah um these because I was thinking about Michelle Yeoh even though like obviously like she's being talked for the Oscar when she gave that interview like in March where it's like she's crying over like this is the first lead role I got she wasn't crying to like people weren't posting it's like this is why she should win the Oscar this was just her actually crying in an interview over this I just think it's interesting that like it became this thing that is both bigger than it but because it was never designed to be that it is inherently bigger no matter what yeah. if it wins best picture or wins oscars or not it already is a much bigger film than probably any ever film that will be nominated for best picture besides like top gun and i'd argue that culturally point. speaking it probably in the long run will still be a bigger deal than top gun that's a good point i walked back a little bit what i said earlier yeah um, with the whale yes sure the whale, <laughs> but, well sh- sure and i don't want to I don't know. Whatever. But that, I also feel like the conversation around Fraser is very different than the conversation around that film in general, too. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, I yes. don't much care to get into it. It seems I haven't even. It seen seems it, like so. one of these obvious things, and you know, maybe I'll see the whale at some point, or maybe not. But you know, whatever. We will see Brendan Fraser next year in Killers of Well, this year in Killers of the Blood Moon or whatever it's called. I was Flower Moon, Flower Moon. I, this is a good time to yes. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was I was going to try to transition to your topic, but I think you're going to do it. I wanted to transition to my topic. All right. Yeah. Do it. I want, I <laughs> mentioned this to, no, you're fine. I mentioned this to you earlier, and you were just going for it, which is good. I was wanting to talk to you about something that I've seen online where people are naming their top 10 films of the last 10 years. So the cutoff is like 2013, which was the year of Wolf of Wall Street for me. I mean, not for me, for everyone, but I'm just like trying to think of things that came out in 2013. <laughs> you put those like, yeah, definitely for me. Sorry, go on. <laughs> well, no, because I wouldn't put Wolf of Wall Street as my top. They they normally say like a top four, um, because they use four images or whatever. It was intriguing to me because I can only think of one film off the top of my head that was like stand out from the past ten years. And I have a lot of reasons for all of that, but I wanted to ask this to you. Like, can you get to four films that you think were like stand up for the past year? Because I think I, I also think selecting this thing is kind of being like you know, you're trying to be representative of the past decade and it's difficult. <clears throat> so here's the thing. My gut feeling there are some movies that to me are in my personal canon but I haven't seen for like six or seven years. So like for me, something like Boyhood, which is something I'd say is 100% like my favorite, probably. I haven't seen it in like six years. So I'm not going to like put it up. Like if I'm actually being told, you must choose like the best films. I'm like, I'm not going to vote for Boyhood just because I haven't seen it in a while. I and mean, I should rewatch it even though it, like if I was to give a top 10, like a sight and sound poll, sure I'd throw Boyhood on there having not seen it in a while, but I wouldn't put it there 
at the top. Like, mm-hmm. another thing I was thinking is like, there's a movie like the Lego movie or Coco where it's like, yes, I revisited it a lot, but I know I have a bias to this type of storytelling. So I don't want to go for that either. There's another thing where unrelated to this topic, but recently in my group chat, we were discussing what were like the best movies of the decade so far. And to me, I think there's a clear choice for that, even though it wasn't my number one movie of the year that came out. And that is Drive My Car. I think Drive My Car is very clearly like the one movie to come out in the last three years. I'm like, no, yeah, this will stand the test of time. This will always be a great film. This is going to be a film we look back on, even if Hamaguchi tops it as like, yeah, this movie was here and it happened and it was great. Um, were you only talking about the last three years? or were you Only like 2020, the- 2021, 2022. Because mm-hmm. someone was like, name your top five. I'm like, well, Drive My Car is definitely there. That's the only thing I could like immediately say. Like, I know Drive My Car would be my top five. Everything else was kind of like, uh, well, I don't know where Everything Everywhere lands. I don't know where um, Sound of Metal lands. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to rank them. But the thing was, I was like, I know for a fact Drive My Car makes my top five. The one, If I had to say one film right now, it's not my favorite film, but it's something that I think is... Well, okay, there's two ways to answer this question. There's two ways to... There's, the way to answer the question is, what is your personal... Like, what is a favorite movie of yours that is a masterpiece that people don't talk about a lot that you would like to present? And there's also, like, what do you think is the canonical masterpiece that we are still talking about and we will remain talking about for the next 30, 40 years? For the latter, I think the answer is obvious. It's Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, <laughs> that That is yeah. the obvious, the most obvious answer to me. It's like, this year it turns eight years old. We've been talking about that movie like it's a masterpiece since it came out basically and the conversation around like people bring up mad max Fu- Fu- mad max Fu- Hero will like have a random thing go viral from it like once every two months because and it's usually yeah. from people who are like serious critics i think it is obviously like the masterpiece of the last 10 years mm-hmm. that everyone will agree on as a masterpiece yeah that's mine too and i'm sure you're about to say this but like besides mad max fury road i think that it gets very difficult Because you have a, for me anyway, you have a lot of directors that put out like a few really good movies in the past few years. And I mean, I'm thinking about like Jordan Peele. So it's hard to get a consensus now. I feel like I'm Jordan Peele. Um, you know, I I was thinking, I think, well, I just think I was thinking about Get Out last night, thinking about this question. And I think, I think I'm like, I'm kind of under-remembering how good Get Out was. Oh, Get Out's great. Yeah, I rewatched them all last year for Nope. Yeah, I think Get Out might kind of edge out Nope, even though Nope gets better the more I think about it every time. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the issues. I mean, like, sure, Get Out is great. Mad Max Fury Road really checks all the boxes. And then you have someone like Bong Joon Ho, who... I like everyone loves Parasite. I personally don't love Parasite. See, that's I think that's because those were actually two movies that came. Those were the two movies that came to mind to me. Is like these are the other canonical ones. We're actually Get Out and Parasite because one, those both make the sight and sound alongside Moonlight, which I love. But I think when we talk about like the canon, we got to go bigger than our. I think Moonlight will eventually get there. Like in the mood for love has. Um but I don't I don't feel comfortable naming a movie like that like instantly part of the canon so quickly. Um but the movie like Parasite and like Get Out, where I think both of those movies crossed over to the mainstream in a lot big way. Um But the thing is it's what you're saying is one, with Get Out, you get 
You don't have detractors for Get Out, but you people who are saying Peel has topped it. And mm-hmm. for Parasite, I know so many people were like, well, it's not even Bonk's best. You know, like, Bonk, like, like there are so many people who are like, no, why would you say that one's a part of the canon when you haven't put this one in? Like, this other Bong one in. Um, well, just, whereas for George Miller, Mad Max Fury Road is pretty much like, no, yeah, this is this guy's masterpiece. And even yeah. if Furiosa is like great and somehow matches it, it won't be a surprise like Mad Max Fury Road was. It's kind of like yeah. to bring it Mad to Max MCU was kind terms. of about the next eight years. Yeah, is what every we're movie finding. Is, every movie has chased. Well, actually, the thing about Fury Road is. People haven't chased Fury Road because everyone knew immediately there'd be no way to match it. That's the other thing, too. Is like everyone's like, ooh, I want to make something as good as Fury Road, but no one is willing to go for it. Yeah. I think Fury Road will be. I think Fury, the one two hit of Fury Road and John Wick for American action movies is like. The thing is, it's actually a three hit. But the thing is, those two, I think, helped it. You know what? I think the third movie, it's after both of those, but not too far after, that really affected American action movies. And this one, I think, affected it for the worse. Can you think of it? It's like the year oh. after Fury Road. And it's a very big I movie mean, compared if to the other two. I mean, you might say Deadpool. That's what I was thinking. Because yeah. I, I think Deadpool influenced the genre for the bad because everything goes for that sense of humor now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this kind of gets into the other problem that I had talking about things besides Fury Road. Because even though you say that like Get Out and Parasite broke over into the mainstream, I think they're still kind of mainstream movies like just running this over in my mind i think like really can i overlook something like uh the recent gaspar like gaspar noe had like three films come out recently and you you hated climax but um like i thought love was great i haven't seen his most recent one people people like that are making things that are so interesting and that we just never talk about so it's hard to hit it's hard to check the box of like uh cultural impact like Mad Max Fury Road and then I think a lot of the most interesting things that I've seen have been documentaries like we both watched that thing about the healthcare system and whatever and then there was that movie about the guys and the priests do you want movie I think we forgot that I think we both agree on as being like a masterpiece of the last 10 years silence I gave silence yeah you don't like same, silence? Same issue. Same issue with me because I think that it is one in a jumble of Scorsese movies. Like, I love Silence. It's probably like two or three for me. Martin Scorsese. It's but not one for I me. think no. Yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> it's no. I mean, that's I. I think that I think that Silence is kind of off in its own little world, and I think that. Like clearly, silence is incredible. I don't think it really talks. It's it's not really in conversation with like other movies that have come out since Silence. In the I'm way that some drop, of these other movies are, I'm gonna drop one documentary and three other narratives that I think are deserving of like the canon conversation. I will note that okay. none of them are animated because we have this is an animation podcast, and I feel like whenever I like go like yeah, this anime movie should be part. I think. I, well, I mean, I think it's also very clear the only really influential anime movie of the last 10 years is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, at least for American animation. Like, yeah. everything we're is... Always, that's, we're always talking about this from an American lens, and that's why I'm like, the past 10 years for me have been, like, terrible for keeping up with other movies. Well, I was going to say Creed, which I know is definitely a me thing. I don't think other people are going to stick with that one. I think 
I like Manchester by the Sea. I think Manchester by the Sea is a mind-blowing film. I think The Florida Project is also one that feels like, oh yeah, that was like big impact. I thought about The Florida Project. But, but the I doc think, I was going to say know. is Mining the Gap. I think Mining the Gap is a fantastic documentary. If mm. I'm looking for foreign cinema, I mean, what is it besides... I hate to be like, what is it besides Parasite in terms of influence? You know, like in terms This is what of, blew my mind thinking about this. I was like... Am I, am I, am I just so out of touch? Like, and drive I just my car. haven't been. I did say drive my car is worth it's a little. It. It's a little recent for drive my car. Well, but... Yeah, but it's also it's only two years younger than um, Parasite. I just think you know we look at we look at the um, look at the freaking um, Sight and Sound pole, right? And Portrait Lady on Fire makes it on there somehow, and Moonlight, which I also like. I, the thing about Portugal on Fire is it really is just the placement that's insulting. Like, if it showed up where Get Out is, I wouldn't be like, I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. But the fact that it showed up so high was just kind of like, what? <laughs> you know? But yeah. I do think it's those two is Drive My Car, Parasite, and I guess Portrait, even though it doesn't affect me. You know, like, it doesn't emotionally affect me, but clearly it has affected a lot of it. It's like when I was talking about Kubo and the Two Strings with Honor Corps put up. So it's like, I don't really like this movie, but, like, I get why others do. I don't know. It's hard to think of, like, a canon also right now because it's, like, I look at... It's something where, you know, when you actually sit down and look at the movies that came out, you're like, oh, yeah, I have a great top ten. And then you go, like, well, yes, but what from this year is going... From 2022 in specific, what from this year is going to stand the test of time? And I only think... I look at the only three movies I gave out of out to, and I'm like, yeah, these ones will, but I don't think everything else really will, like, become, like, a classic or something people talk about years from now. And those three are Everything Everywhere, Fablemans, and Nope. I think mean, those are movies yeah. people will be talking about for years. Which is also kind of interesting to relate back to our Oscar talk, but is still about this. I remember when Get Out was coming out, and like, we're all like, this will be the most impactful movie this year, right? Like, it doesn't matter if it wins with Picture Off. This is the movie that everyone will talk about when they look at 2017 cinema. Get Out will be the first thing listed. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter that, like, Shape of Water won this picture, because Get Out is the most important thing to come out this year. And that's how I feel about... Um, Everything everywhere being weird, like that it is an Oscar frontrunner because it's like if Get Out was a front, Oscar frontrunner to me, where it's like it's a genre picture that's so obviously is going to be the movie that people talk about this year and like spreading influence to like 15 years from now, 20 years from now, we're gonna hear so many filmmakers be like, uh, everything everywhere all once inspired this, you know, like that is just a fact, and that's what I feel like with Get Out of Horror, we've already seen happen, like. Like, even a weirdo movie like Barbarian, you hear the director and you're like, yeah, I'm comedian. Uh, I worked on, I think, what was the show? New Kids on the Block? That's not the show. I always forget the name the of the show. The Whitest Kids You Know. Whitest Kids You Know. Yeah, New Kids on the Block is a boy band. Yeah. Um, Whitest Kids You Know. And I saw what Jordan did with Get Out, and I wanted to try my hand at it. And then you get something like Barbarian, which is really entertaining and fun. But obviously, I mean, this isn't a knock against Barbarian. It's just a fact. Like, Barbarian isn't going to influence really anyone it's just a part of this cool movement going on right now but like that doesn't happen without get out and then of course you get like the social whore that's trying to copy get out um i think it'll be interesting i don't know did i say this thing on this podcast i think i said somewhere where it's like when are we gonna see the everything everywhere oh i was talking to my friend uh, one of my friends is it's going to be interesting well it was this quote i don't have the quote in front of me but it was like a conversation with guillermo del toro alejandro gonzalez interview to and um Alfonso Cuaron about um well it was about Pinocchio and Bardo and Cuaron was just there to moderate because you know he did Roma for Netflix so it's like let's let's you know like let's just have a conversation because you know everyone calls them three amigos and there's a part where they brought up everything everywhere out, out of nowhere 
And I think it was Del Toro who said that that's a movie that's going to be something people t- like will cite as an influence on them and like got them into cinema. And then he's like, I wish I could make a movie. I don't know if he said this. I don't want to put words in his mouth, even though I'm like, Guillermo del Toro, my arch nemesis. But <laughs> I do think the thing that's interesting about that is like, I think everything all at once isn't really revolutionary, even though I love it. I think it is the perfect synthesis uh, of where, in a way, where the Deadpool trend of comedy was going and the Lord Miller trend of comedy was going. But then meshed into like both like a universal story like The Matrix, because that is what everything everywhere is, and also weirdly, and this is not me like being like our podcast is always about like is, I think it is very much what happens when you get filmmakers who grew up on Pixar being told make your sci-fi movie and find a way to put emotion in it. Well, Pixar did it. I think every arrow at once falls a lot of Pixar tropes, and I think it knows that because it has the raccoony stuff. So, mm-hmm. but. All I have to say yeah. is, my point I was going to be is, you could put out a movie like Free Guy two years from now, and the filmmaker could be like, yeah, this was inspired by everything here all at once, and you wouldn't really be able to argue against it. <laughs> like, it might not be a good inspiration, but you wouldn't be able to argue against it, because you'd be like, yeah, I can see the DNA there. I couldn't say for Free Guy. I don't know. I'm really curious about how everywhere, everything everywhere all at once will have some kind of impact, because I'm sure that it will, but like... Not really sure how yet, because it's kind of like with Mad Max, you know, no one has really gone there since then. So, I like... Think, I think everything we, we're, we're, we're really all... Maybe it's because broader. we're... Yeah. Well, I'm saying maybe maybe it's because we compare everything to Mad Max. That's the influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I said, nothing's... We exist in a world where I feel like Nothing is going to match Mad Max Fury Road except for maybe Furiosa. Just because also, the difference between Everything Ever All at Once and Mad Max Fury Road, among several things, is Mad Max Fury Road is the culmination of an entire career, like, in a movie that had been worked on for about 15 years, like, from storyboarding to shooting. Whereas Everything Ever All at Once, it did take a while for them to make it, because, you know, they started working on it, I believe, right after Swiss Army Man, which came out in 2016. And the movie didn't come out until 2022. So that is a pretty long development cycle. And I think they shot it just pre-pandemic, if I remember. I'd have to look it up. But I think they wrapped shooting like February 2020. And then mm-hmm. A24... Well, also, you know, I don't want to say A24 held on to it. Because they definitely did. But also, it's like... You can tell that movie was a bitch to edit. So, <laughs> like, like... I can't yeah. really blame them for being like, yeah, let's let's work on this a lot. Um, Yeah. But also, like, again, they held it, they held back on it for so long, and it paid off really big for them, so. Yeah. The other thing about all of this, we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road, which came out in 2015. I feel like it's kind of a benefit to Mad Max that we're talking about this 10-year thing in 2023, when you cut out films from the 2012, like, before then, because, like, 2007 to 2012 is a really strong set of years, I think. Um, yeah, I yeah. Um, immediately off the top of my head, of course, you got Cloud Atlas in there. You got um, Tree of Life in there. You've got a lot of great movies in 2010. Um, so yeah. I'm proposing that I don't, you know, this is this is really my 
this is a, such a personal thing. I think Birdman put a curse on the film industry when it came out in 2013. 14. But go on. Oh, 2014. What what came out in 2013 that I am 2013 like... Oscar winner was Argo. Argo? Yeah, Argo was the Oscar winner that year. Life of Pi. Oh, no, wait. No, that was 2012. Shoot, what won the Oscar in between? See, now I can't look it up because I got to be like, I know these. I know these by heart, usually. So I should know. It probably was a bad yeah, It was Argo. No, that's saying the movies that came out in 2012. The Oscars were in 2013. That's why uh, I was like, who won the Oscars oh, in 2013? Oh, I know what like, it is. I'll give you one guess, and then I'll tell you if you're wrong or not. Okay. I'm, trying to remember I'm surprised the... this came oh, out Oh, so 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a yeah. Slave. That's yeah. a movie that I think of as being earlier in my mind. Well, so yeah. to me, the cutoff point we're really at right now is that um, this is uh, we're coming on the year... Ten years ago, I was in junior in high school. We're coming on the end of high school to me. And so to me, once I'm out of high school, that really is like a good cutoff point. I know I didn't graduate senior year, you did. But it's like, once I graduate high school, it's like, oh yeah, that's um, that's the solid cutoff point. Once we hit Frozen and 12 Years a Slave, which came out my senior year of high school, it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was wild seeing Birdman when I did because it was around the time that I graduated from high school and then went to college. And it was really weird seeing a film that took everything that I thought that I valued about movies and then showed me that they were just empty nonsense. What I think is interesting about my Birdman experience is I remember the first time I watched it, I really liked it. And then I watched it again like three months later and I hated it. And Mm. I think the key difference was the first time I saw it, I identified more as like a guy who did theater in high school and wanted to keep doing theater. And then the second time I saw it, I had taken a semester of film courses, and I was like, man, this movie sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> this movie, like, just does not, it's not motivated. It's not, it's, I should, I actually though should rewatch Birdman at some point, because I remember, the thing about Birdman, this is what I always say about Birdman, the most frustrating thing about, and I know you're like, Danny, last week, you're like, Danny, I don't care about this Oscar shit, but I think that was the year I stopped caring well, no, the year after was when I stopped caring, but that was the year that really, like, put a nail in the coffin of me, like, actually caring about who... Because, like, you know, earlier today, sorry, this is a side tangent. At the time this episode is out, the, the Oscar noms are coming out tomorrow when we're recording this. And one thing I, one thing right now that's really annoying is that the supporting actor nom category has basically an empty slot. Because the ones who are locked are obviously Kei Kwan for Everything Everywhere, Paul Dano for Fablemans, and then both Barry Keoghan and... Brendan Gleeson for Banshees of Inisherin, And then there's just this open slot, basically, where Eddie Redmayne has been sneaking in for a Netflix movie no one has seen. So I'm like, well, someone else has to take that slot. Because, like, that's normally what happens. Is like, you know, there's a movie at SAG or, like, the Screen Actors Guild where it's like, it's a movie no one saw, but we like the actor, so we're going to nominate them there. And so there's usually, in that case, there's a bigger movie that comes in, but it's like, who's going to be Jed Hirsch in The Fablements? Because there really are no other good options. And I'm just like... I really wish that A24 had invested in just getting James Hong a nom because he's like so old and he's never had a nom and he probably deserves one. I don't care that the performance isn't really there. Like, you know, like I don't think no one walked out of everything ever like, oh, James Hong was so great in that. But it's like, well, you knew, you know, Kei Kwan is going to win no matter what. Nominating James Hong is not going to steal votes from him. So it's like, I wish they'd like campaign because that slot would have been really easy to pick up. I forget why I brought... Oh, no, no, I remember I was bringing this up because of Eddie Redmayne. That's actually why I'm bringing this up with Eddie Redmayne. Is... That's, that's why I brought up my 
my first thing was that that performance is the one that people were saying was bad. Well, I don't I, think... I know nothing about it. Well, I... Talk, I haven't seen that movie. But I do think it's bullshit always to like be like, look at these 10 seconds of acting. Isn't it terrible? Because I watched that clip. I'm sure you watched... You were talking about the same clip where it's like he's like freaking out in a jail cell. And he's like, I didn't do it! I didn't do it! Or something like that. And I'm just yeah, like... I wonder what that movie's about. <laughs> well, my, my thing is like, maybe this is a bad performance, but like, if you po- showed me the clip of the Riddler, Paul Dano, and the Batman going, No! 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 Out of context. And you didn't tell me it was a Batman movie, I'd be like, man, Paul Dano is just trying for an Oscar in this clip. Now, now like, you know what? Like, it's it's... You can't say that performance is bad off of that no context when we have... Because I, I don't like Eddie Redmayne. I think Eddie Redmayne's annoying. I think Eddie Redmayne makes some questionable just choices in films. But I'm not going to knock him for this movie. I haven't seen how tense as a game of footage. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of, you put it You put it very well. Maybe, maybe that's my whole issue with this whole thing is that I'm like, do I not understand or am I just thinking about it that way? But... To get back to Birdman, the thing about Birdman that's so frustrating is, one, it swept basically the year where it's like, a night actually it was always going into I'm like, I think Birdman's going to win Best Picture, but it would be so nice if either Grand Budapest won screenplay or Linklater won director. And honestly, in general, that's how I think it should have gone, because I think Birdman was always going to win. So whatever, give it Best Picture, I don't care. As always, my attitude, of, you don't actually want to win Best Picture, because Best Picture, when you win it, you just get backlash. The only movie that escaped this was Parasite, which was such a phenomenon and such a shock that it won. And Moonlight, because Moonlight, <laughs> the La La Land thing happened, you know, so it kind of distracts from the entire win of it. I will say that even though I don't, I I think, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Moonlight, but I think it is important, like. Yeah, I definitely, like, I, I think Moonlight is a, I, I give it a 9 out of 10, but I also know I love it more than a lot of people I know. I also like it less than a lot of people I know, but I still think it's really good. Because in my opinion, obviously, Boyhood, as much as you want to say it's a gimmick, that movie doesn't work without its gimmick. And I think it's really powerful in how it's used. And I think Linklater knows exactly what he wants out of those actors throughout 12 years. And I think that's very impressive. And he has a clear vision that's executed throughout. And obviously having to, like, you know, work around some obvious things. I think it's, I think, it's, I think Boyhood is such a directorial achievement. And then I think, obviously, Grand Budapest is, like, one of Wes Anderson, if not Wes Anderson's tightest script. Uh, and I think it's a genuinely moving script. And I think also that was the closest Wes Anderson ever came to winning Best Picture. So that's obviously the time you're going to finally give him the Oscar. Um, but the fact that Birdman won all three is just so, like, insulting to me. <laughs> it really just is like, are you kidding me? And of course, also that interview between ones the following year for The Revenant adds to it, too, for the director. And it's just so like, are you, are you guys serious? Like, what did you watch that this would, like, happen? Um, mm-hmm. Birdman yeah, deserved all of it. Those but films it, are really like Emmanuel Lubezki movies more than they're Inuritu movies to me. I think I've talked about this before, like the hypothetical world where Leo won for Wolf of Wall Street and then Inuritu like no longer becomes a big deal for The Revenant. But also the thing with The Revenant is like, I get, I, I, it's just I don't get it winning over Mad Max Fury Road. I get in other years why you'd be like, oh yeah, Revenant's such an achievement. They were in the snow for so long. Like, I, I understand how campaigning works. I get, like, that's bait to it. But it's like, come on, Fury Road. Um, but I was going to say about Eddie Redmayne. The thing that's so infuriating that even more about the Birdman sweep is that it won everything except Michael Keaton and Oscar. 
<laughs> it was even, by far. I think even people who don't like Birdman is like, nah, but Michael Keaton was fantastic in it. Like, <laughs> as someone who hated Birdman, I was like, nah, but Michael Keaton probably should win the Oscar for this. And also the noms that year, Michael Keaton was by far the best option. Like, by far. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne was my number two that year. Can you imagine like how bad a year has to be for me to give Eddie Redmayne my second place spot? <laughs> was that when he was in Cloud Atlas? No, that's the or year for Stephen uh, Hawking. That's Stephen Hawking. He wasn't oh. in Cloud Atlas. He was in Jupiter Ascending. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the year he won for Stephen Hawking. I think, you know what? The movie's bad, but I think his performance is fine. And the other nominees that year were Benedict Cumberbatch in Imitation Game, which is a forgettable performance. Benedict Cumberbatch should have won last year for Power of the Dog. Um, or Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. It just shouldn't have been, well. <laughs> I thought that be, Although, honestly, I remember at the time when he slapped, I was like, I hope he wins now because this is going to be very dramatic. I was right. <laughs> but, um... Theory of Everything is one of those movies, actually. Some guy came to my school, and he, like, knew someone who had the same disease that Stephen Hawking had, and he recommended that film. Um, well, I hear it's, like, a good... That. And I was like, you know, all right, much to think about. Well, I mean, I don't... I think the movie's kind of just boring, like, in a biopic sense. I don't think it's, like, bad or misguided, but I also haven't seen it since theaters came out, since it came out of theaters, so please don't... But the other noms were, like, Cumberbatch, whatever, like, forgettable role in Imitation Game. Bradley Cooper and American Sniper, which is okay. And then Steve Carell for Foxcatcher, which is dumb because he's not the leader of that movie, in my mind. It's Channing Tatum. And I also think Steve Carell is by far the weakest of the lead, th- the three leads in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Three leads, even though I call him supporting. Do you have any... Th- I don't know. I don't really... I've kind of run you, my... You've memory hold all these this. movies, which is fair. You mean forgotten them? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of internets I've oh, I can't even yes. They've they've passed away. I mean I didn't even watch Foxcatcher. I watched a clip of that the other day though to check out Steve Carell and I just kind of thought the movie looked really boring. So I really like Channing and Mark Ruffalo in it. They're both fantastic in it. Yeah. I'm so excited. Do you know when this episode does come out though? It comes out the week before Super Bowl. Do you know what also comes out the week before? No. Magic Mike's last dance. Oh man! Magic Mike Soderbergh returns to the screens. Oh wow! It's that man, those that lap dance was really physically taxing to perform. You've never seen the Magic Mike movies. I have actually seen the okay. second one. Okay, I was gonna say I think um, you'd at least like the second one. Did well, I like the second. The second one is like my favorite example of like dumb screenwriting or whatever i guess because I mean, it's spoilers, silly it's I, very have silly have i talked about this before no i like, don't ever talk, i don't think i've ever talked about magic mike xxl with you dumb spoiler for magic mike xxl it starts with him frowning and then the last shot is him smiling <laughs> I, I think the and movie that's what is... makes a good movie <laughs> i just think i like Ma- magic mike xxl is such a fun movie i should rewatch it and the original before um I went to a outdoor screening of it during the pandemic of XXL, and then I watched the original on HBO Max right before it. And I remember enjoying them both, even though I think XXL is more fun. And I'm curious if Last Dance will be more like XXL or like the first one, because Soderbergh obviously directed the first one, didn't direct the second one, and he's directing this one. But I also think Soderbergh is well aware that the second one is better regarded, and I think he wanted to make a more... Like, I think... the impetus behind Magic Knight's Last Dance was Channing and him going like, let's make a fun movie after the pandemic, you know? So, so hopefully sense. it's... I'm looking forward to it. Um, game time? 
Yes, but first, I have to talk about two things I forgot to talk about two weeks ago before we do the letterbox game. Wow. First off, oh, actually, can I talk about something I forgot to say, talk about six months ago first? Because <laughs> whenever I, after I record, I'm always like, damn, I didn't mention it. And since I'm going to talk about things we forgot about, I think now might be the time to finally bring it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you excited for this? Uh, maybe. Who knows what could happen? I don't, like, my, six months my, ago is when we started this thing. My biggest regret on this podcast is in our Buzz Lightyear Starkman, The Adventure Begins, starring Tim Allen episode, where we forgot to talk about William Shatner's end credit song for the film. <laughs> because it is fantastic. I highly recommend everyone check it out. Unfortunately, I don't think Mark has listened to Judging Off His Face, and also because we talked about this movie <laughs> so long Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm a, I'm a little too present-pilled to... Yeah on memory hole that event well all i i know is, is there's a place in outer space where you can join in the fun to infinity and beyond and it's all delivered pretty much exactly how i just said hopefully at some point in this podcast we can talk about william shatner again we can maybe we'll have a christmas special where he'll appear about or something william like that. that we should we i feel like a great have, like what, wouldn't what? a great april fool's joke be to watch like the the last samurai or something like that. What? How many Blame Shatner's in that? <laughs> no, I know, but like, <laughs> I think that would be a good left turn anyway. All right, I have two other things I had, but two things I actually want to talk about from a couple weeks ago that I forgot about. One is in our Corpse Bride episode. I want to mention something that I really feel like in retrospect we should have mentioned, and we never did. And that is that even though Tim Burton is... One of the directors of Corpse Bride, he did not do it alone. We never said the name of the other director of Corpse Bride in that entire episode. We never do. Oh, my. And it's Mike Johnson. Um, So, Mike Johnson, you made it. You made Corpse Bride. It's the only movie you ever directed. So, mm, Mike Johnson, enemy of the pod. Let me yeah, see what his other credits are. Hmm. But the other thing I want to mention is in that episode in our Letterbox game, um, in our last round, we did the original Puss in Boots movie. And... One of the hints I said, well, Bethany asked us, can you tell me when this movie came out? And I go, I could, but it's not going to help you. But that said, there is something really interesting about this movie and how it was released. And I realized that leaving that hanging is uh, a little rough because I feel like most people when they hear, wow, there's such a fascinating story about the Puss in, the original Puss in Boots box office run. I think most people are like, wait, what is it then? And then I don't answer it. So I'm here to tell you guys the interesting thing about the Puss in Boots box office run. Are you excited for this, Mark? I'm very excited for this, Danny. All right. So Puss in Boots came out on October 28, 2011. Now, this might sound like an unusual release date to people who are aware of when animated movies usually come out. Because animated movies generally keep their... Um, they all, like There are prime slots for animated movies always. There's Thanksgiving weekend... There's Father's Day weekend. There's Memorial like more Day weekend isn't always used, but like sometimes it's used. Um, there's be first weekend of March. Like you know what I mean. There's like these prime spots. There's like that one's for spring break. Um, this Thanksgiving's obviously for Thanksgiving, and then there's also thing about Thanksgiving is pre-pandemic. Obviously, there used to always be a wait wait. Before I say this, I gotta say, I loaded up some info, and I just wanted to say this entire paragraph on the Puss and Boots Wikipedia page about how the United Arab Emirates, and I know I mispronounced that. Um, no, that's exactly how movie, it's pronounced. Oh, renamed the movie Cat and Boots because Puss was not allowed. 
Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait. That's great. Um, anyway, <laughs> but one date that's always used for family movies is Disney usually has Thanksgiving. So DreamWorks or Illumination or whatever usually go for the first weekend of November because the, that movie can still be playing around Thanksgiving and get like the sellouts for whatever the new animated movie is. And, you know, like it just like, you know, we'll play for the holidays usually. Mm-hmm. So the weird thing about Puss in Boots is that, as I said, it came out on October 28th, 2011. That's because a month before release, they pushed it up a week. It was originally scheduled for November 4th, 2011. So, Puss in Boots, on October 28th, seemingly bombs at the box office, the original. Because it opens to $34 million, which is incredibly low for an anime movie of this size. The second week, the week it was originally scheduled to come out, it makes $33 million, which is a ridiculous drop. And I, I posit it's because no one knew the movie moved up a week. <laughs> I, I really I really think it's that, because after that, the movie starts dropping pretty normally. But I think it's pretty fascinating. I think that's just a fascinating story, that the movie dropped nothing in the second week. Because it's, mm. not, it's not a holiday that week of November 4th. I think you could say the week before, it's like kids are getting ready for Halloween, so they might be busy. But it really is like, wow, that movie, people just, I guess, just assumed it was coming out in November, so they just didn't go. On Halloween weekend. I just think that's interesting. It's an interesting yeah. box office story from history. Why did they push it forward? Do you know? Uh, I have to imagine it was... Um, I don't have the full release schedule in front of me. I have to imagine maybe there was like... Maybe um, a Harry Potter movie was coming out and they were worried it would take away the audience. Because that's mm. around that time. No, 2011 is when Harry Potter ends. Um, maybe they were worried about Twilight? I don't know. There, there was probably like, you know... Probably the Disney movie around the Muppets was that Christmas, that Thanksgiving. So maybe I don't know. Let's let's look it up really quickly. Um, November twenty eleven release. That, this will be it. This will, I'm not gonna go down. No, this you're hole fine. Too much. I'm November just 20- like I'm wondering what it could be myself. All right. So according to Movie Phone, which has an archive schedule release. Oh, this is not a good website. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it's like the number one movie is Ben Ten Generator X Heroes United. I do not think that's accurate. All right. So the box office November twenty eleven. The big movies are, and I'm going to order them by release because that will make it easier for me to look at. Week two is Tower Heist and A Very Harold and Kumar Christmas. I don't think that's really a thing. Then Jack, maybe they were worried about Jack and Jill because that was aiming for kids and Adam Sandler was kind of big at the time. And that was originally the week after Puss in Boots. And then Happy Feet 2 and The Muppets and Hugo and Arthur Christmas are all over Thanksgiving. So I think maybe they just wanted some room. That'd be mm. my guess. Game time. All right. The Letterboxd game. Where we, we, Mark, tries to guess movies based on films that Letterboxd says we might also enjoy. So if Letterboxd recommends Big Hero 6 and Megamind in the recommended tab, the movie we have to be talking about could be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'll start with giving the first five recommended titles, and after each wrong guess, you get either more titles or another hint. I will leave titles out of the recommended list if they have the same director of the original film or from the same franchise. So for Spider-Verse, I wouldn't say The Amazing Spider-Man, because it's a Spider-Man movie. Nor would I say Rise of the Guardians, because it was also directed by the director, Peter Ramsey. So, are you ready for round one? Yes. As always, I have a certain number of movies here in order from um, popularity. So we'll do the most popular, and then second most popular, and third most popular. All right, round one. It's the most popular movie you're going to get. Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile. These are both, to be clear, the Branagh ones, not older ones. Uh See how they run. Gosford Park, a simple favor. Glass Onion. 
Yes, it's glass onion. This one was All the right. easy one. <laughs> glass onion. I do want to say just a shout out to one of the moot titles I was going to say eventually because yesterday when I checked this, this was in the top five and I'm a little disappointed it fell out. Was this 2021 movie I've never heard of called Clickbait that I think is a Netflix original movie that stars Adrian Grenier and Zoe Kazan. When family man Nick Brewer is abducted in a crime of a sinister online twist, those closest to him race to figure out who is behind it and why. I have never heard of this film. Mm. But I think is it's it interesting. Is it a drama miniseries? Oh, you're right. That is it. <laughs> I haven't heard of it. It is a miniseries. It's 352 yeah. minutes. You're right. Hey, it has the girl from Get Out in it. Betty Gabriel. Good for her. Glad she's oh, getting great. work. She's great in Get Out. All right. All right. Ready for round two? Yes. Last Tango in Paris, Closer, Inland Empire, Lost Highway, Chloe. Wow. I don't know what Chloe is. Do you know what Chloe is? I feel like I've heard that name before. Let me, um, am I allowed to like look it up if I'm curious? No, about I'm, what... I'm looking up. I'll just say it. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'm okay. looking up. It is by someone named Adam Egoin. Oh, this is like a bad movie. It's got a 2.7 average. It's got Amanda Seyfried and Julian Moore and Liam Neeson. Okay. All in it. And this is 2009. Mm. A doctor hires an escort to seduce her husband, who she suspects of cheating, although unforeseen events put the family in danger. It's on Netflix mm. right now. Hmm. Right. I don't know. I'm trying to think about like what I've seen at the film forum, and then cr- comparing that to what you, maybe you've told me about things you've seen, but nothing is really coming up. Um, I don't know. Maybe you see some like. What what fancy old movie? I don't know. I'm gonna guess. Did you did you find Al Hazard Balthazar? It is not Al Hazard Balthazar. Al Hazard Balthazar is not in the top twenty five. Guess again. I can't talk tonight. Sorry. This is a podcast. <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. I mean, I butchered the German earlier. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I, I I'm pretty sure I butchered the name of a country <laughs> earlier. So no, you got United Arab Emirates. Perfect. Nice. All right. <laughs> I need another guess before you get a hint. <laughs> um, oh, wait, never mind. Um, sorry, I almost made that the title of the episode, <laughs> but I don't want it to be. Um, let me see. It's like I don't know. Did my mind went right to the Great Beauty? That Paolo yeah, Sorrentino. F- it's yeah. the Great Beauty. Yeah, it's not I'm the just, Great Beauty. I need a hint. The Great Beauty is not in the top twenty-five. The year the film came out is what you get now, and it's 1999. Oh, The Mummy? It is not The Mummy. The Mummy is not in the top 25. So now you get five additional movies. So I'll say the five additional movies, and I'll recap them all. Your five additional movies are Mulholland Drive, Nymphomaniac Volume 1, Belle du Jour, Unfaithful, Fifty Shades of Grey. So your total 10 goes Last Tango in Paris, Closer, Inland Empire, Lost Highway, Chloe, Mulholland Drive, Nymphomaniac Volume 1, Belle du Jour, Unfaithful, Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't think this is it, but it's a good guess. Is it American Beauty? It is not American Beauty. American Beauty is in the top 25, though. Yeah. So that means you will get, for this next guess, the second build actor in the film. Because you hit one in the top 25. The second build actor in this movie is Nicole Kidman. Eyes Wide Shut? It is Eyes Wide Shut. Hey. Cool. Great movie. Loved it. So now, so you think about it, we're now in the Christmas movies, basically. Because I saw Glass Onion over Thanksgiving, and Eyes Wide Shut was screening because of Christmas. Uh Uh-huh. 
What, what were you saying? Oh, that's, I don't know. What'd you think of it? Well, I actually made my list of um, top 15 theatrical experiences of the year because the music box crowd was fantastic for it. There's this tweet that went viral recently about, um, well, actually, it's just a, it's not even a, t- a tweet. There's a lot of tweets going around about how, like, repertory screening audiences are just getting terrible and worse and worse. But then, like, I'm like, maybe it's, like, the th- like the cities that have Alamo draft houses because ours still hasn't opened yet, thankfully. I hate the Alamo. That's a rant for another day. I'm really mad we're hitting an Alamo draft house in Chicago. It gets me pissed off. Um, but... Well, yeah, I don't know if I told, I may have said it on the pod when Julius was here, maybe, but I felt weird that no one cheered at my Seven Samurai screening that I saw. It seemed like uh. that was a movie that people should have gotten more hype about. I don't know. Maybe, well, that's, what, maybe that's not what you mean. Maybe people were, like, very Well, respectful. there's stuff going on, like, people, I can't remember the exact movie because I haven't seen it, but it's like, oh, now I, now I want to get it right because this is actually a very serious issue. It was a movie, Metrograph, let me Google Metrograph. Uh, uh repertory tweet. That's that should find it because I know it was a showing at the repertory at the. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. What, but it's did, like did, someone was laughing at a scene of domestic violence, and like the whole audience was laughing at it. Oh, so. did people laugh at the famously funny Eyes Wide Shut? Yes, it was very like the other thing is like I think Eyes Wide. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe when you watch it, maybe I think it's just like one of those movies you watch at home might be a little dry. But, like, with an audience, this movie's hysterical. Like, I was laughing so hard at it. I think it's, I think it reminded me, I kept comparing it to After Hours, which I think is also a really great movie. Um, I think, actually, Eyes Wide Shut is better than After Hours, but it's just, you know, it's fun. That I, it kind of makes me, one of the things I kept thinking was, like, I'm so glad this is Kubrick's last movie. Like, what a fun way to go out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad he and Philip Seymour Hoffman, both, like, their last lines of their career is just a beautiful F-bomb. I don't want to say the F word on this podcast, even if we have the explicit. At least not. <laughs> you didn't even, you didn't care that I wanted to put it on and make it a thing. That's the problem. See, we have to, we're creating well, a brand. you say the word. You say the word. <laughs> oh my God. Weren't we just talking about something? With... Ooh, ooh, what was it? We were just having this conversation about like ridiculous lines of dialogue. No, this was a conversation I have with someone else. Never mind. Good content. Yes. Um, I remember Eyes Wide Shut, like, I liked watching it alone, but I didn't, like, it's not a, hard to, hard to tell, like, I'm glad that people laughed at that, honestly, because thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, but then also, like, I recently watched, like, the first 20 minutes or something, and it's all about, like, oh my god, he, like, drugged that girl, and Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise hate each other. I really hope, like, I want them to make it a yearly thing. I would go see that every year with that type of crowd. It was so fun. It was so nice. Um, and, it, you know, it's also, it's always nice to see a new movie, like, a movie that's new to you in a repertory screening that is, like, you know, it's just, it was a good time. It was, I, I, I don't know why I'm just, I am keep repeating myself, basically. It was a great time. You ready good. for your final round? Yes. All right. I feel like this should be, like, a subgenre of the show when we hit this genre. Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> Oh my god. Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man Far From Home. Last Tango in Paris. Give me a real guess. Come on. God. I hate these because it's just like it's I just possibly you gotta you gotta kick out you gotta kick out characters, basically. Yeah, and that's I'm like, who was or who was there you? for like two seconds? Have we done Wakanda Forever yet? That's my guess. Your guess is Wakanda Forever? Yeah. Um, 
We have not done Wakanda Forever yet. Wakanda Forever is not in the top 25. Mm. But we okay. have passed Wakanda Forever in my watches, so probably won't pop up again unless I rewatch it. How far back are we going? This is around Christmas. Okay. Not quite Christmas. It's way I do it is it's up basically. We're recording this January twenty third, so all these movies. Um, fun fact, and I was gonna say this to the end, but we are reaching a milestone in this. Is that I finally want to have a long backlog to go through removing them, because we will finally catch up to December twenty third, which is the date we're recording this on January twenty third. So I will not remove ten movies from the like you know what I mean leftover movies I'll remove won't be necessarily a full ten. Which is mm. kind of cool. Wow. We finally reached it. Um, but this mm. is around Christmas time. Superhero movies. What's that one that you saw because you didn't want to see Avatar? You watched The Fablemans. You watched Avatar 2. I mean, the option was Wakanda Forever. And you already guessed that. Uh, I'm going to guess you watched Kick-Ass because we mentioned it on the last episode. It is not Kick-Ass. So the year this movie came out is 2019 is this guardians 2 guardians 2 yeah it is not guardians 2 guardians 2 is in the top 25 so what's the next thing i give you oh five more films right so i'll give a recap after i give these five films okay Mm. spider-man sam raimi version original ant-man venom the avengers thor love and thunder so your 10 films total were Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man Sam Raimi Original, Ant-Man, Venom, The Avengers, Thor Love and Thunder. Okay, I think, I'm going to guess, for some reason you rewatched Into the Spider-Verse. It is not Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse is not in the top 25. So now you will get the second build actor in this. I don't know if this is going to help you or not, because I don't know who the second build actor is. Second big build actor is Mark Strong. I know Mark Strong. And you know Mark Strong. He's the guy... Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know I didn't know who the second build... I thought another actor could have been the second build. That's all I'm saying. I didn't know. I think oh. you know who Mark Strong is. I, was, yeah. I wasn't implying that. Oh, man. But I don't know what he's been in recently. Is this the most recent Kingsman? Because we talked about the other... We talked about, like, the first one a while back. I'm going to guess he's in the most recent Kingsman movie. But I don't know what that's called. Well, it is not the most recent Kingsman movie. The most recent Kingsman movie is not the top 25, even though that doesn't matter anymore. So now you will get your final guess with the director. So I will do... I'll tell you the director, and if you don't immediately know it, I'll do a full recap. The director of this movie is David F. Sandberg. Wow. Immediately, my mind is flooded with the David F. Sandberg filmography. We saw a David F. Sandberg movie once together. I remember we both hated it. Well, who knows? Who knows what things we've seen together and hated? Appar- apparently, there are quite a few of those. Um, usually, always horror movies. <laughs> oh. mm, Mark Strong. Oh. Do you want me to give a little extra help? Sure. For David F. Sandberg, I will give you his films that he's directed, feature-length films he's directed, just so you know who he is, but removing mm. things with this character or franchise. Okay. So his other two movies are Lights Out and Annabelle Creation, which oh. I think might actually fuck you up a bit. 
we'll see. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I I remember us liking Annabelle Creation. Oh, I didn't like it. Um, so for a final recap for the listeners. This is a film from 2019 that is related to Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Venom, The Avengers, Thor Love and Thunder. It has Mark Strong in the second build role and is directed by David F. Sandberg. I need help. Do, do, you, want, do you want a big hint? Yes. There are two superhero companies out there. I have only listed Marvel movies. And I've removed a lot. Mm. So. <laughs> so. Did he direct Black Adam? It's not Black Adam. Black Adam is in the top 25. And Black Adam is a film I had to remove. I will say, because this is, this is your bonus guess. I removed, including Black Adam, one, two, three films from this, the ones I would have read out loud. Including Black Adam. Man, I have no idea. I do know that there was some kind of shenanigans going on with the director of Black Adam or something like that, but I, I could not name this film. No, Mark. Did you give up, then? Yes. So, I'm gonna, there's Black a DC, Adam 2. There's a DC movie that came out in 2019. It came out in April 2019, three weeks before Avengers Endgame. So it did not did okay at the box office, but like you know, it kind of fell apart once Endgame came out. And the thing that I always thought was weird about it is because this is a movie that's set at Christmas. And this is a movie that has a sequel coming out soon. I figured, you know, it'd be nice to rewatch the original at Christmas Ooh. to get in the holiday season. Do you know what it is now? Is it Even Shazam? Even though this won't count anymore? Yeah, it's Shazam. Okay. It doesn't count as a win, though, does it? Yeah. Was, well, I lost, but... Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because I, I did... I remember the trailer from... Maybe it was Avatar that I saw that trailer yes. at. But. It's attached to... Oh, everything nowadays. It's very annoying. The trailer for the sequel. Um, mm. But yes, yeah, I rewatched the original Shazam for the holidays. So, well, all right. Since we are now caught up to Christmas, would you like to know the movies I am removing from this list? Sure. From the ones that did not make it, from most popular to least popular, that will be removed from the list after today is The Holiday, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, sorry. The Holiday. Violent Night, The Muppet Christmas Carol, Sky High. I believe that is it. I'm just double checking to make sure. Yep, it's just You mean the four. Holiday of the Jack Black movie? Yes. Ah. Today we watched a very special film. And I, yeah, I think we really did do it today. I kind of, maybe this will be kind of like a, a part one of one and a half parts because I didn't realize there was so much to dig into on this movie. And I kind of should have prepared a little bit more. But we'll talk about we'll talk about. Maybe we'll revisit it. But our next film is another one directed by the guy that directed Strasse der Specialisten. It's called uh, Ali's Chance, which is a translation of uh, the original German title, which is Ali Schau. Now, Mark, do you know what this also is? What? Adito! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Pixar did not, not put out Pixar. this German movie. It's pretty obvious while watching it. <laughs> the art style is nothing like this, and you can tell it's way cheaper. But yeah, it adds I to was the charm. I was a little worried when it started that I was not gonna. I mean, I don't know if I'll. Strasse de Specialisten might be fighting with Finding Nemo for my like end of the podcast best of movies. We'll see what happens when we get to Coco. 
but I, I was a little bit worried that this film would not, I wouldn't like it as much as the first one because it, when it starts, you're like, oh my, this is. It's an actual film. People. Gross. Yeah. Well, kind. Well, honestly, kind of that, but then it turns out not to be. But also, just like the kids are so disgusting looking <laughs> that, like, I think, I think everything kind of, in this is really gross, which is fine. Did you not have a good time? No, I actually really enjoyed it. That, the reason I came late, Mark, for recording, Mark may not like this, but I was like, I think this film deserves to be on Letterboxd. So, what I did was I took the time immediately to add it to Letterboxd and go for that process because I knew I would forget to, if I did it afterwards. So. Wow. Now the film is on Letterboxd. I think it deserves to be on Letterboxd. Because unlike Sarastar Specialton, this is an actual short film. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? Are you good? Let me turn the lights back on. I'm in Skin Rink right now. <laughs> Whoa. Spooky. Let me take a picture. <laughs> this is... <laughs> oh, man. Don't this put this on the social media. I'm shirtless. <laughs> oh, well. Ooh, spooky. I mean, it kind of—it's kind of a, a sexy, sneaky look. All right. Okay. Great. Back what on. just happened? <laughs> um, the electrician needs to come in and fix this room. The light switch is broken, and I oh. can't—you'll—you'll uh, you'll now see some strobing while I try to get the light switch to stick where I want it to stick. So, great. Brb. Well, do you want me to do you want me to say anything while you do this, or do you just want to cut this time? Hello. Weird. Spoopy. We should okay. title this episode uh, "Skinmer Dan" or something like that. So oh, like I, I still have to go see that movie. I think it's I probably going to leave soon, so I recommend you rush to it. Well, yeah. I'll probably leave once "Knock at the Cabin" is out. Which, to be honest, yeah, we all want to see "Knock at the Cabin," so who cares? I might be able to do it tomorrow. I finally watched that guy's short film, so I'm ready. It's one of those rare things that spooked. I'm actually like making a point about it because it's you know I've heard that it's less narrative, so that's appealing. It's Unlike scary. this film, which is yeah. Did you... Well, we don't need to talk about it right now. Do I like uh, this I might... film? Yeah, I thought it was yeah, good. Yeah, I think Great. it's solid. Okay, I think it's I think it's solid. It's a 3 out of 5. Um, I think Strauss' Special Tune is obviously a better film. Or better piece of art, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think this is the, like... It's... It's interesting. Because the elephant in the room here, that we must acknowledge, is that this film has not been translated into English. Um, this film exists. I think we should do that. Let's get somebody. I mean, yeah, sure. Well, well, Mark, that was spoiler alert. I was gonna give it a translation as the present at the end. That's what it deserves, right? Um, oh, don't worry. I have well, we else can, I can still do it. that. I have something well, else I can give it. So okay, you always have like three excellent ones, and I'm gonna be yeah. like a piece of moss. And okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one has not been translated. Um, I have. I wanted to read this. Mark told me he started translating it, but I think a better thing to do for the listeners, because this is on YouTube, but it's not translated. So what I instead will say is the YouTube comments from 14 years ago that explain what it's about. I'm going to read these with the editorialization that is listed on it. So this will sum up the short film for you. Okay? Okay. Put in some smooth jazz here. It is an... I'm going to read it word for word. It is an educational movie to show the dangers of playing near railroads. Ollie, the little boy, is playing at the railroad. He lets a train smash his toy and then throws rocks after it. When a worker spots him, he runs away and is nearly hit by a train when he tries to get past the crossing. 
These comments are in order, so now I have to find what the next one is. Because <laughs> they really are not posted. Okay. I'm not sure that these people speak German either, because what I liked about this film is that you can get all of that just by watching it. It's good visual knocked, storytelling. He is knocked out and has some kind of dream. A girl named Nicole teases to follow her. She takes him to some other kids who are working on something. Not closer specified, whatever that means. <laughs> the other tell Ollie what had happened to him. The other kids tell Ollie all of his happened. Now this is the part I wanted to read out loud. The first one tried to let his plane fly from a power pole and zap! <laughs> all caps spelled with five Zs. Zap! The second mm-hmm. one, the shortcut over the crossing and see the train coming and smash! And Ollie realizes Nicole must have died too, but she won't talkie anymore. The other kids tell her story then. She was drawing graffitis with her best friend. When the train come, they tried to hide, but Nicole was sucked into the train by the air draft. Mm-hmm. After that, Ollie gains back consciousness and is found by the worker. The worker tells him he is not going to scold him. One year ago, he lost his daughter named Nicole. Ollie then realizes it. He met her in a dream. The question To the question of the worker, if he knew her, he replies that he just met her briefly. Sad movie. I hope it will teach some kids not to be stupid. <laughs> and I then like... there's some... Hmm? There is some extra context added by someone else, if you're curious on the extra context. Sure. The first boy mentions that he didn't touch the power lines. He was only near them, but it had rained earlier. Other than that, the second boy was riding his bike home from basketball practice. A shortcut wasn't mentioned. He just looked both ways before crossing, but he couldn't hear or see the train because of the building blocking it. Okay. Someone can speak German. Yes. I think that that pretty much takes care of it. I would love to know what the train worker says to Ali at the end a little bit more. But that's basically, those were the questions that I had. Because it is like, just watching it, you're like... They they don't show the deaths. They happen off screen, and there is enough vagueness to be like, well, so like, how did they die? Especially when that zap happens, I was not clear on him like getting it from the electricity. But now, Mark, I have to ask you. Yes. Is it morally bad that I laughed when one of these kids died? Uh, it depends on which one, I guess. It was the train one. The train the, one? The one really? where she gets sucked out. The one where she gets that's, sucked out. That's the most <laughs> harrowing. I thought it was really funny. I want to rewatch it right now so we can get a, a real-time reaction to my laugh. Just, I'm just right. queuing up the moment, the queuing up the moment where she dies. I thought it was really funny. Really? I yeah. I think I think this film is very effective. About, I, mean, I think it's like, effective too, but this moment was funny. You know, Excuse Danny, some people what? post online about bad short film audiences. Are you saying I'm one of them? I don't know, man. You're laughing at child death in, like, a German train yard. There was something funny about this film. I can't... What, what was it? <laughs> I think I just think it's funny because it's so much more graphic than the other two. Honestly, that's why it's funny. It's like, the other two, like, they cut away. You just get the sound effect. And this one, they just show her, like, being completely flown out. I think that's why yeah. it's funny. I don't think it's funny because she dies. It's funny because they show it. And I wasn't expecting it. Uh-huh. It's like, Danny, don't try to cover your ass. Well, I wonder... Let me translate this real quick. I want to know what the graffiti they say is on the side of the train. Oh, it says, Pepe, ich mag dich, which seems to translate to P, I like you. I hate to tell you this, Mark. Yes. This was in the comments, too. What? 
<laughs> Sorry. It was Pepe. I love you. It de- definitely Google Translate says that Pepe is piss. So we have whatever common in English if you want it. It's what a sad film. That said, <laughs> would be a wonderful resource for rail safety ed- ed- adduction in schools. I think 10 to 12 year old would really respond well to it. As in preach or patronize, so many student kids and adults take needless risks on the ch- tracks and pay the qual. I think this is so interesting because to me, it's like I guess this is an educational film, but also the idea of handling with rail safety is such a foreign concept to me. Of like, yeah, I've never lived near railroad tracks where I would play on the tracks. I don't know about you, but the subway, you know, there's the there's always some kind of barrier or a ledge between you and the train, so. That to me as well was like what, and even when I did, we did live around trains, kind of like when we were in Carbondale, everything was pretty far out of town. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I I enjoyed it anyway. I have I don't know if any of the comments write paragraphs about this next thing that I'm going to say. Okay. But this is yes. Thank you for affirming that. Um, Sorry, but, no problem. No, that's fine. Um, But this is kind of what I mean by it might be like a one and a half episode because I was reading and apparently... So this film was originally commissioned by the German National Train Company, the nationalized train service Deutsche Bahn. Um, And it seems that on their website, they've kept reusing this character to teach like other kinds of train safety. So I don't know if he's like well known in the world or if this is just kind of like if you took some random PBS character, like, you know, whoever and just had them on your train website, but you can scroll around and it's like, Ollie loses track of his sister at the station. What will he do? And you can Oh, learn about so he's kind of like uh he's kind of like when you're doing job training or like if you're doing CPR training and it's like Hey, someone's on the ground dying. How do you save their life? That's what Ollie is, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's he's your stand-in in the situation. And that's why I think the original German title is really funny. Because it... I mean, I don't know. I, someone might correct me on this. But I, based on what Shao, Shaoen means, I think it's more appropriate to say that the title is like, Ollie, watch out. So I think that it's really funny that there's this dumb kid in in the German train system who goes on these adventures and he's always like, "This is Ollie, pay attention," and he's gonna he's gonna fuck up somehow, and you get to see how. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think. Well, to me, this is such a, this is a weird topic, I guess, but it's not really. It's just it's not even like weird as like this is a weird thing to talk about. This is the weird like thought I always have. I feel like once you're, when you're a kid, you see the movie Roger Rabbit, you just kind of assume all these cartoon characters live somewhere. And meanwhile, I think also for my generation, I think I might be, I actually had a conversation about this earlier today, is how I get mad when people call me a Gen Zer because I'm like on the borderline. I really don't think I qualify as Gen Z and how I think and talk. I um, wouldn't say you're Gen Z. I think I'm, I'm really on the border. I don't think you are. I think I'm not Gen Z. I think I'm like a millennial. If you're where I am in age, you watched the show Chalk Zone growing up. Gotta look up these old man references. I know, I'm old. Chalk Zone was a show where basically the theme song was, Rudy's got the chalk, Rudy's got the chalk, 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 chalk zone, Rudy's got the chalk, 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 Rudy's got the chalk. Oh, wait, I do know this show. (laughs) 
Yeah, and the premise of the show is that Rudy had the chalk of chalk zone. <laughs> it was a magic chalk that allowed him to go to the place where when teachers erase their things from their um, classroom, you know, they appear in chalk zone. Which means, obviously, we need a revival movie like Invader Zim and Rocco's Modern Life Guide where we discover the world of Marker Zone. Come on, someone fund this. We need to know how Marker Zone works. Uh, <laughs> but... Mm. I always thought about that with actually, I'm being honest, I legit like thought like, oh yeah, marker zone might exist. So I'd always like draw little like faces on my letters when I erased them from like the marker board. So that way they'd come alive wherever this place is and I'd create sentience and I'd feel really good about it. Um, but all this to say is that one thing I've always thought like now watching these like films, like whenever I have to take CPR training for work where it's like an actor who does this is like two things. One. There are actors who get paid to do this. And I think that's interesting that there are people who audition for these roles and they get the parts. But moreover, wow. if if oh. we... um, what? I, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to totally derail you. I did not think this would come back to me, but I actually know several people and have been offered that job a few times. Um, have you taken it? Or are you NDA'd from saying if you've taken it or not? Well, no, I haven't. It's It wouldn't be an NDA thing. It's actually, I've applied for it, but I'm always, like, hearing it from people who have already joined the very small pool of people. Mm. And they're like, hey, check this out. And so you, like, apply, but you're already extra to them. But I know people who, I mean, they're, they're like, patient substitutes, so maybe this isn't exactly what you're talking about. But, I mean... It, it is it is a big thing to do like industrials or something like that this i mean yeah anyway you were saying well i also think about and this is this i'm just gonna use this book as an example but i also think it's a general thing is did you ever read the book Inkart growing up like the young adult fiction book Inkart? no but i was aware of it so the premise of Inkart is and let me tell you Inkart has a terrible ending no one should read the last book um, but Inkart, the premise of Inkart is, is that, like, there's someone who can, like, read out characters from books into the real world. And you're taking them out of their story and, like, you know, life goes on in there. It's like its own pocket dimension. I think that's just a general, like, fun thought experiment that every story you see or read exists within its own universe. Which makes everything ever all at once very confusing because it's like, okay, but then how does it exist within our universe? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just joking here, but you know what I mean? Like... This whole multiverse storytelling thing that's now really hitting a peak with Marvel and everything everywhere, I think also comes... I mean, everything everywhere is more like the traditional multiverse where it's like, if you make a different decision, it creates a new universe. But, like, I think the Spider-Man yeah, ones is very much I, like, these are, like, different comic books and they're just all meeting each other type of thing. Yeah, like I think I think Tilda Swinton said it best when she was just like, you know what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Is that in Doctor Strange? In I was like, world? thank God. <laughs> but. Um, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, what I was going to say is I think there's always like the fun thought experiment of like this universe exists on its own that we're looking at. And what does it exist about? And I think about that all the time whenever I'm doing like CPR training. Where, like, there's a moment <laughs> in this person's life where someone walks up to them and goes, call 911 and get an AED, like, with the most monotone voice. And they do it, of course. Because I always notice, like, the person, I mean, because they're supposed to be calm. But they're usually monotone, but then, like, the people who are in the scene are, like, overacting in a way. I'm not knocking any of these actors you know, because I'm sure I didn't, I did not watch the version you watched. But you know what I mean? Is like, they overact a little bit. Where it's like, oh, yeah, sure, I will. And it's like, 
But then the person who's always like the person you're supposed to follow is so calm and collected, and then like the rest of their life just goes off. Like I'm curious. I was like, how does? And I was like, if I got like hired, I know I know they would they'd probably immediately fire me because they'd be like, no, we're looking for you to like make effective training. I would like put a plot arc in here. I would like get my main person who keeps saving people. And I would give them a whole storyline. I think it would keep people more engaged in the um the material. Um. Granted, they should already be engaged in CPR training and first aid training, but you know, like, try to try to get them more engaged. You know, it's always good to aim for more engagement. Mm-hmm. All this to say is that's what I'm thinking about when you say Ollie like has his whole life going on on this website. He's like, <laughs> he heard all these traumatic stories, but he doesn't get to just walk home. He has a sister, and this train continues to haunt the station, haunts him the rest of his life. Because he always gets <laughs> stuck there, and like, traumatic incidences are happening there, and it just. That's how I assume Ollie's life is like. Well, it's funny that you've only watched the short film, which is very much like 2007, Everything's Kind of Ugly, because they've they've kind of yassified him. So everything <laughs> is... Wait, is Ollie still used? That's what I'm saying. He is like the child <laughs> mascot of Deutsche Bahn. I love that we stumble across things like this in our detours. Where we're yeah. looking at like mascots in Germany. Hey, yeah. replace Let's... him with Maya Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Look at you can see like the kind of character he is. There's this is Oh like, yeah, he is Yossified. Yeah, I mean that's not even the right word, but you can kind of see like and here he is I like in his the adventures. In and, that's convenient. That's well, I have my translator on, but you can see like oh. they've like I I'm I this is this is I need to do like a mini thing where we revisit this because I need to know what the trajectory Ollie? from <laughs> like this short of darkness to him just being the guy was because it's it's very funny. Hey everybody, so I wanted to pop in here and provide a little more information because I did do some reading about this after we stopped recording. So, the character of Ollie was created by the illustrator Titus Ackerman in 2003. So that is three years before um, this short film was made. And actually, on Titus Ackerman's bio on his website, he says that he helped with the character design and as well as the book for Ollie Show. The other thing that I wanted to share is that digging into this and looking up German train mascot, I found that they recently retired a mascot named Max Mole, whose job was to tell people about construction delays, and that character was designed by Wolf Erlbrook, who was a teacher of Titus Ackerman back in, like, the 90s or whatever. This is based on a Facebook post that Titus Ackerman made, because I had to look around for information about all these people. But I think it's funny that the train mascot illustrator begat the train mascot illustrator. And it does seem that this character has another life outside of the short film, which we don't know anything about. This is a stupid journey of discovery because we don't speak German and it's all like a fake mystery. But slowly I will reveal it all to you. The other thing I wanted to mention listening back to this episode and now editing it is that we never credit Johannes Weiland as the co-director of the short, but it was co-directed by Johannes Weiland. Sorry, I should have brought this up earlier when we were talking about M&Ms, but have I told you my story about Divergent and M&Ms? No. All right, this is, this is a good one. 
So I have two friends, and I'll drop their names because who cares? Because they're relevant to the story. My friend, my really good friend Jake, who is a friend that I was kind of referring to last week when we last time we were talking to Bethany about um, friends I wish I could reconnect with, but I don't know how to like reach out. Then there's another guy named Justin. <laughs> And this is the only... I went to a lot of movies with Jake. This is the only time I go to the movies with Justin. And we're going to see Divergent. Um, And I don't remember anything about the movie, but I do remember us getting the commercial in front of it. You know, the Eminem commercial that is played for, like, over a decade of, like, we're all gonna die! Do you think I'm an idiot? Oh, this isn't in a movie. This is an envelope. You know what I'm talking about, right? No. What? (laughs) You don't know the Eminem commercial that plays in front of every single movie? Wait, it's like a, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I might. It's like my you use the most important scene yes. in the movie and your cell phone rings. This is why we don't make movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, know what you, I know what you mean now, yeah. So, Justin, this is like, Divergent comes out in March 2014. In February 2014 is when the Lego movie comes out. And so, this commercial plays, and Justin, me, me and Jake are talking during it, obviously, because this is the commercial that plays at every single movie. <laughs> and Justin just turns to us and goes, Guys, they should make an Eminem's movie. <laughs> and we're just like, what? And he's just like, no, they made a Lego movie. An Eminem's movie would be really good. And we're like, okay, sure, I guess. And I'm just like, I always think about this moment because we didn't ask him in the, that at mo- that moment in time. But I was like, he had such like a strong reaction to the Eminem cell phone commercial that had been playing for like three or four years <laughs> at that point. I'm like, had he never seen it before? Had he just always showed up to the movies late? Has he just not been to the movies until Divergent? This is one of my life's biggest mysteries. And I'm sure if I did reach out to him by this podcast to bring him on and just to interrogate him about this moment, he'd probably be like, I don't remember saying that at all. I'm like, no, this has haunted me for years. I mean, <laughs> That's how you I react kind of to get me. it. Yeah, what? It's, it's it's not like a low budget thing. I think those jokes work pretty well, you know. It's and I see what you mean. Like it's fun imagining them having their own universe and they go out and do Eminem adventures and things like that. I support him. Well, it's not. I don't. I'm not negative towards the idea of an Eminem movie. Sure, whatever. Get get a good team and maybe you'll make something good out of it. I I personally don't endorse it, but I'm not going to throw it out. <laughs> my confusion is having such a strong reaction to a commercial that at that point had played for four years and then it's still playing in the movie theaters exactly the same to this day. Mm. It's, you know, whatever speaks to you. They should make, they should have Ollie um, do commercials. Does he have commercials on his website? He, he has other short films. I cannot tell if he, I don't know. I think... You know, I kind of think I might be right in that he's kind of a random child character that's here. Because if you, like, I don't know why I thought about this. If you saw, like, Maya and Miguel on the children's PBS page talking about, I don't know, my brain was like, gun safety. And then my, (laughs) it was like, come on, improv brain. Um, But, like, if you saw that, you wouldn't think that they're, like, the faces of... You know, it would be kind of weird to see them in other commercials. They're just kind of like decoration for the child's portion of that website, you know? I think it's that's like kind of a, how Ollie To do a Pixar example, I feel like, it's like if you, like, saw Ellie from Up, like, the child version be, like, the mascot for, like, cereal. Gun safety. <laughs> or, no, no, I mean, just think, like, imagine you're, like, on a cereal box, like, Adventuros, and it's just her as a child, like, excited. It's, like, it's so weird to see this out of context of, this is the character that dies in the first ten minutes and makes you cry. But it's also, like, yeah, the character design is good. Why not use it? 
Or like Ollie's an icon, you know, like we got we gotta support Ollie in his dreams of being stuck in the train station forever. Do you think well, I but it's I don't know, this is the journey that I want to explore. Do you think Nicole would be a bad child mascot? Isn't Nic- Nicole's the dead one, right? Yeah. Well you said Ellie was the mascot for whatever you seem to think that oh, dead people. Oh, can I get what you're saying. 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 Um, yeah, I guess Ali would be a bad mascot. But, okay, but no, 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 no. <laughs> Ali makes sense. No, Nicole dies because she's, I hate to be, I'm, I'm quoting, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm quoting the YouTube commentary. It's like, good short, sad short. Hope it teaches kids not to be stupid. So, going from this context, Nicole is the dumb character who gets killed because she doesn't know how to hang out around trains. Not judging Nicole, really. But I'm just saying that that's how it's framed here. So, Allie, on the other hand, is like, you know, she loves adventure when she's a child. It's not like she dies when she's a kid from having adventure. She gets she gets the boy. She dies years later. Like, eventually, all these characters die, right? We were talking about this earlier. Eventually, Mr. Peanuts is going to grow up and die. Eventually, eventually, uh, we want baby Tony the Tiger to show up after Tony the Tiger grows old and dies. Like, mm-hmm. eventually, everyone dies. Yeah. And the mascots Peanut. have to continue. Yeah. Yeah, we need a baby Ollie. <laughs> baby Ollie? Well, that's his sister. His sister, maybe. I don't know. She his might sister be sister should dead be named too. Ollie. I don't know. And I'm not just saying that because of my up idea. <laughs> maybe. It's, I don't know. I think, speaking of all of that, I think that it's funny that, like, he he almost dies because of a goth chick. You know? <laughs> so it's true. I, <clears throat> I gotta say, they wanted to, like, make this relatable, and they just snag <laughs> you in the first ten seconds. My, f- my other favorite... Ge- <laughs> oh, sorry, what? go on. No, I just think in general, it's it's kind of got a really goofy style to it, where, like, these characters are so, like, uh, we'll give you, it's like, you know, this is, like, commissioned by someone, even though it played some animation festivals. It's not, it's not really a commercial, it is a short film. It um, won a ton of awards. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Um, but, it's really like this is your budget we want to be this long that budget's not going to work for you got to make it work and that's kind of what i feel like with the characters in this (laughs) is like they work they're functional they do not look good but they will they will work you know (laughs) i I love them so much (laughs) they're just so goofy looking (laughs) and i mean to me i'm not like i'm not absorbing the content of what they're saying it is only the external germanness of it so i'm watching this like weird monster house looking kid being like ich bin peter ah hello and i'm also not used to that i guess the it must be the convention that everyone says like hi and hello and okay and everything like that so it's still funny to me i do think ollie is um I think this has a really good I don't know if cinematography is the right word but I think for as cheap as it is I think it does a lot of cool things with lighting Yeah, I think it does a lot of nice atmosphere to it like you can tell he's like in a purgatorial state Um, it's also probably more obvious if we can understand the dialogue but I think even off the visuals like you were saying this earlier like you can get the gist of it other than the ending just off what's going on like you can easily guess what's happening it's very evident I do. I I don't know. I think that like you talked about the budget, you know, whatever. I've enjoyed things that look worse. I think it's impressive that this film presses so many emotional buttons. 
in a way that I mean I felt like Strasse was much more reserved and even you know spoiler alert for the Umbrella short which I happened to watch I don't think that really gets there either but I think that there's a real sense of danger when you see his toy train get crushed and then you talked about like you know, the girl gets sucked in the train, and even we haven't talked about the obnoxiously loud sound effect when the plane explodes. Well, I did kind of refer to it as, in the descriptions, it's written Z-Z-Z-A-P, all caps. Yeah, it's <laughs> so like... So, the description knew it was loud. Yeah, it's, well, it, like, it, that's the thing, it's like, I kind of, I recommend watching all of these shorts by Sashko Insult, but, like... It's obnoxiously loud. I I think that I would say that does not need to be that loud. It's mixed much louder than everything else in the film. Um, so. What I think is interesting about this also talking about in relation to the Blue Umbrella is as we it kind of relates to what I was saying about the budget being low, but it looks really good. And that mm-hmm. the Blue Umbrella is like what happens when you get a Pixar budget and it looks like insane. Yeah. <laughs> like... I think, in a way, I'm more impressed by this and Thruster Specialty just because they're... Well, one, I think they're better films. Um, and I also think they do a lot with a little, which always impresses me more than being given a lot in making whatever. Only one person can impress me with a lot with a lot, and that's James Cameron. We've already covered that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Do you have ever... I, I, I hate. I did. I did. I appreciated that the train worker was just some dude, and he wasn't even like. Well, he was the father. I, apparently, he was the father. He was the father of Nicole. I said. Oh. Okay. I, I said that. Well, Let me double check. Let me make sure I got it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, he's Nicole's dad. I, I well, I liked that he had no warmth to him. I actually appreciated that. Like I. I think that it's very real to be a kid and get in trouble and then you kind of want like comfort from an adult who is so freaked out that they are like off-putting and I think that's very accurate. He also looks like he escaped from jail. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I thought it was the worker because he's wearing like orange overalls. He is the worker. (laughs) He also kind of looks like um, he looks like the uh, character from Over the Hedge played by Thomas Hayden Church. When is the last time you saw Over the Hedge? It's been forever. I don't actually oh. know what you're talking about. Well, if this podcast lasts forever and we never end it eventually, I guess I'll make you watch it. When we run out of Pixar films and then yeah. we're like, all right, so uh, at this Oscar after party, these people touched the directors of Pixar's Cars 3. Well, if we, do you want to give me my really dumb Over the Hedge story, which isn't really a story about me? It is. No, I think it's actually really interesting. Is um, someone once vandalized? I don't know who. Someone once added to the Wikipedia page. It took place in my small Indiana hometown, and then everyone started claiming it was ours on Twitter. And no one bothering to set, check the citation. So now, anytime I see like like maybe once every six months, I'll see someone from my high school tweet. Never forget that over the hedge takes place in my in our hometown. And they'll be like, but it doesn't. It's just someone added Wikipedia to say it did. I don't know why they did. The movie very clearly doesn't, because if it took place in our hometown, the lake would be, because I live right by Lake Michigan, the lake would actually be relevant to the movie, but it's not, so it doesn't take place there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I have, um, I liked in the beginning, it does the same thing 
that Strasse did where you see something that you think is like full size and then it's not full size. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Now I'm kind of like, if we do another one of these before Umbrella, I wonder if we'll notice that little trick again. But um, yeah, I need to figure out uh, more about this character. So. Ollie? Yeah. I, for now, I'm pleased. But if anyone of our listeners just knows German well enough to like listen to some audio because I think it would be nice to have a a translation available for this film. We love Ollie. He's great. Give him a chance. <laughs> Give Ollie a chance. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know what? It's uh it's time to unless you have something else. No, I don't. All I right. Was ready, I was ready to wrap it up. It was time to give stuff. I want to give him a chance. Give a chance. Yeah, I want. I think that's better than my my piece of moss idea. Although I do, I, this film is very is cozy to me in a kind of dark way. So maybe moss is appropriate. But uh, I was gonna yeah. give him some. I was gonna give him some Kleenex. He looks like a Kleenex commercial character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it up because I thought it that's, might come up naturally. That's what I was like, he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's oh my clean, gosh. Everyone, this is a Kleenex commercial character. Ooh, man. Wouldn't it my computer... Which goes back to our mascot talk. Yeah. <laughs> we need to kill the, the kids from the Kleenex commercial and bring them back <laughs> as babies. They look all he looks like me when I was a kid. I just keep staring into all these eyes. Hmm. They're kind of unmoving because I paused it. Oh, I remember one last dumb detour I wanted to take. And I just said, you know what? I want you to guess what the number one recommended video off this video is. You're not going to be able to get it. I'll just tell you. Um, the number one recommended video for this, for me, is probably because I assume because this is like such an obscure thing that can't relate, is an old video I watched, I think a like three or four years ago. The top that It comes up every time I reload this, which is kind of surprising me, is the Gym Class Heroes... Featuring Adam Levine versus Kelly Clarkson mashup of Behind These Stereo Hearts. Here I am, once again, I'm torn in the... Yeah, okay. All right. All right. What are we doing next time? Well, it's time for a big one. We got a game changer. A groundbreaker? Groundbreaker. We're going to talk about the movie that will define Pixar for the next decade. And probably what will make... Larry the Cable Guy, my number one actor of 2023. Which is the main reason, really, I watch so many Brendan Fraser movies to try to defeat that before it happens. We'll see <laughs> if it works. But we're going to watch Cars. I'm a real Chevrolet with a large Chevrolet. Where mama's going to get you around. What are you singing? It's the song from Cars. You'll definitely recognize it when you watch Cars. I can think of like three songs from Cars. Left is a how. What's the last one then? Yeah. Oh, well. I don't know. It's been forever. Oh, man. Do I finally get to watch Cars now? You put You've embargoes never seen Cars? on. No, I mean, I've seen Cars, but like I try not to watch things out of order. Yeah. Now now I get to make dinner watch and watch Cars. Okay, great. Cars. 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 <laughs> Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me, 
If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.